Part two of chapter fifteen of The Growth of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jan Morehouse, Smith River, California. The Growth of a Soul by August Strindberg. Translated by Cloud Field. Part two of chapter fifteen. The Red Room, eighteen seventy two everyone attacked christ for he was thought to have been overthrown by learned criticism but they were afraid of attacking shakespeare john however was not thoroughly understanding the works of the poet whose most important dramas he had read in the original and whose chief commentators he had studied he criticized the composition and meagre character drawing of hamlet it is noteworthy that the swedish shakespeare worshipper shuck through an inconsistency due to the current confusion of thought and compulsory cowardice, made just as severe criticisms of Hamlet regarded as a work of art, though he had previously extolled it above the skies. If John had at that time been able to read the book of Professor Shuck, he would not have needed courage in order to subscribe such criticisms as the following, quote, Hamlet is the most unsatisfactory of all, the composition is superficial and incoherent after the action of the play has reached its climax it suddenly breaks off hamlet is suddenly sent to england but this journey does not in any way arouse the spectator's interest still worse is the management of the catastrophe it is a mere chance that hamlet's revenge is executed at all and a similar caprice of chance causes his overthrow his killing claudius just before his own death has more the appearance of revenge for the attempt on his own life than that of a judgment executed in the name of injured morality and then the obscurity which envelops the motives of the principal persons in the play quote, the spectator is left in uncertainty regarding such an important point as ophelia's and hamlet's madness moreover in king lear edward's treachery is so palpable that not the most ordinarily intelligent man could have been deceived by it if then the drama was defective precisely in the chief elements of a drama construction and characterization how could it be incomparable the reverence for what is ancient and celebrated is rooted in the same instinct which creates gods and pulling down the ancient has the same effect as attacking the divine why else should a sensible unprejudiced man fly in a rage when he hears someone express a different opinion to his own or what he thinks his own about some old classic it ought to be a matter of indifference to him the national and intellectual pantheon can be as angrily defended by atheists as by monotheists perhaps more so people who are otherwise sincere cringe before a well-established reputation and john had heard a pietistic clergyman say that shakespeare was a pure writer in his mouth that was certainly false a determinist on the other hand would not have used the words pure or impure because they would have been meaningless to him but the poor christ-worshipper did not dare to bear a cross for shakespeare he had enough already to bear for his own master meanwhile john's method of judging old things from the modern point of view seemed to be justified for it gained him a following that was the whole secret of what was so little understood later on by theistic and atheistic theologians his irreverent handling of ancient things and persons 
they thought in their simplicity quite innocently that it was what one calls in children a spirit of contradiction his aim rather was to bring people's confused ideas into order and to teach them to apply logically their materialistic point of view if they were materialists they should not borrow phrases from christianity nor think like idealists this gave rise to a catchword which showed how what was ancient was despised that is old as new men they must think new thoughts and new thoughts demanded a new phraseology anecdotes and old jokes were done away with stereotyped phrases and borrowed expressions were suppressed one might be plain-spoken and call things by their right names but one might not be vulgar the latest opera was not to be quoted nor jokes from the newest comic paper repeated thereby each became accustomed to produce something from his own stock of original observation and acquired the faculty of judging from a fresh point of view john had discovered that men in general were automata all thought the same all judged in the same fashion and the more learned they were the less independence of mind they displayed this made him doubt the whole value of book education the graduates who came from Uppsala had one and all the same opinions on raphael and schiller though the differences in their characters would have led one to expect a corresponding difference in their judgments therefore these men did not think although they called themselves free thinkers but merely talked and were merely parrots but john could not perceive that it was not books qua books which had turned these learned men into automata he himself and his unlearned philosophical friends had been aroused to self-consciousness through books the danger of the university education was that it was derived from inferior books published under sanction of the government and written by the upper classes in the interest of the upper classes i e with the object of exalting what was old and established and therefore of hindering further development meanwhile john's scepticism had made him sterile he had perceived that art had nothing to do with social development that it was simply a reflection or phenomena and was more perfect as art the more it confined itself to this function he still preserved the impulse to remould things and it found expression in his painting his poetic art on the other hand went to pieces since it had to express thoughts or serve a purpose his failure to have his play accepted had an adverse effect on his pecuniary circumstances the friends from whom he had borrowed money came one evening to john's rooms in order to hear the play read but they were so tired after the day's work that after hearing the first act they asked him to put off the rest for another occasion one of the audience who had kept more awake than the others thought that there were too many biblical quotations in the piece and that these were not suitable for the stage john's resources were dried up and the spectre of want loomed upon him unbribable and stone deaf after he had gone without his dinners for a time he began to feel weary of life and looked about him for the means of subsistence how should he get bread in the wilderness the best means that suggested itself was to seek an engagement in a provincial theatre there mere nobodies often played leading roles in tragedies made themselves a name and finished by getting an appointment at the theatre royale he quickly made his resolve packed his travelling bag borrowed money for his fare and went to gothenburg it was just about the time of the great november storm of eighteen seventy two since the environment in which he had been living had had a great effect on him he conceived a great dislike to this town 
gloomy correct expensive proud reserved it lay pent in its circle of stone hills and depressed the lively native of upper sweden accustomed to the rich and smiling landscape of stockholm it was a copy of the capital but on a small scale and john as one of the upper class felt alienated from its inhabitants who were in a lower stage of development but he noticed that there was something here that was wanting in the capital when he went down to the harbour he saw ships which were nearly all destined for foreign parts and large vessels kept up continual communication with the continent the people and buildings did not look so exclusively swedish the papers took more account of the great movements which were going on in the world what a short way it was from here to copenhagen christiania london hamburg havre stockholm should have been situated here in a harbour of the north sea whereas it lay in a remote corner of the baltic here was in truth the nucleus of a new centre and he now understood that that position was no longer occupied by stockholm but that gothenburg was about to be the centre of the north at present however this reflection had no comfort for him since he was only in the insignificant position of an actor john sought out the theatre director and introduced himself as a person who wished to do the theatre a service the director however considered himself very well served by his present staff but he allowed john to give a trial performance in the role in which he wished to make his debut this was dietrichson's workman the great success of the day john had discovered a certain likeness between stevenson's first locomotive and his rejected play he wished to show how he like the engineer had to face the ridicule of the ignorant crowd the apprehensions of the learned and the fears of a wasted life on the part of relatives he gave his trial performance one evening by the light of a candle and between bare walls naturally he felt hampered and asked to repeat it in costume but the director said it was not necessary he had heard enough john in his opinion possessed talent but it was undeveloped he offered him an engagement at twelve hundred kronas yearly to commence from the first of january john considered should he spend two months idly in gothenburg and then only have a supernumerary's part in a provincial theatre no he would not what remained to be done nothing except to borrow money and return home which he did thus his efforts had again ended in failure his friends had given him a farewell feast lent him journey money done all they could to help him and now he came back without having settled anything again he had to hear the old too true accusation that he was unstable to be unstable in an ordered society is the extreme of unpracticality there persistent and exclusive cultivation of some special branch of industry or knowledge is necessary in order to outstrip competitors every orderly member of society feels a certain discomfort when he sees someone wandering from his proper place this discomfort does not necessarily spring from excessive egotism but possibly from a feeling of solidarity and solicitude for others john saw that his countless changes of plan disquieted his friends he felt ashamed and suffered on account of it but could not act otherwise so he found himself at home and spent the long evenings in the red room asking himself whether he really could find no place in a society which for others opened up so many rich possibilities of a career at christmas time john travelled again to upsala for he had been invited thither as one of the contributors to a literary calendar which had just appeared 
the calendar which was received with universal disapprobation was not without significance as an exponent of the state of literature the reader who was desired to wade through these elegant extracts might justifiably ask what have i got to do with them the poetry they contained like that of snoilsky and bjork might have been written fifty or a hundred years before it was of indifferent quality and sometimes even bad bad because it gave no sign that the poet had developed any powers of perception indifferent because it was not rooted in its own period the date of the book was eighteen seventy two but it contained no echo of the jubilee of eighteen sixty five no hint of eighteen seventy not a whiff of the conflagration of eighteen seventy one had these young versifiers been asleep yes certainly the great mass of students were realists sceptics mockers as befitted the children of the time but the poets were credulous fools with the ideals of snoilsky and bjork in their hearts their poetry was that of superannuated idealists in form and thought for the new views of things had not reached these isolated individualists who still lived the bohemian life of the romantics their poetry consisted of nothing but echoes in fact it was a question whether swedish poetry had hitherto been anything else or could be anything else was tegner's poetry anything but an echo of schiller olenschlager the Eidus, and the old norse sagas was atterbom anything else than a musical box pieced together out of tieck hoffmann wieland burger and so on with all the swedish poets but this literary calendar was composed of echoes of echoes and dreams of dreams realism which had already made a premature entry into sweden with kramer's diamonds and coal and had subsequently triumphed in snoilsky had left no trace on these young poets the poetry of snoilsky's school had been the careless expression of a careless time but these poems simply displayed the incapacity of their writers john had contributed to the calendar a free version of an besweig saga in this he had glorified himself as a kind of male cinderella or ugly duckling of the family he was moved to do this by the contempt which had been evinced towards him by his patrons and middle-class friends on account of his failure as an author the language of the piece was marked by a certain bluntness of expression and an attempt to dignify low things or at least to rub off the dirt from things which were not really so but were called so since the word naturalism had not yet come into fashion his language was called coarse and vulgar but an acquaintance which john happened to make during his stay in upsala was of greater importance than the calendar or christmas dinner he lodged with a friend on whose writing-table he found one day a number of the svensk tidskrift containing a notice of hartmann's philosophy of the unconscious it was an exposition of hartmann's system by a finn a v bolin and betrayed throughout a half-concealed admiration of it but the editor hans forsell had appended to the essay a note written in his usual style when he came across something that his brain could not take in hartmann's doctrine was pessimism conscious life is suffering because unconscious will is the motive power of evolution and consciousness obstructs this unconscious will it was the old myth of the tree of knowledge of good and evil it was the kernel of the buddhistic faith and the chief doctrine of christianity vanitas vanitatum vanitas 
most of the greatest and conscious minds had been pessimists and had seen through and unmasked the illusions of life only wild animals children and commonplace people could therefore be happy because they were unconscious of the illusion or because they held their ears when one wanted to tell them the truth and begged not to be robbed of their illusions john found all this quite natural and had no important objection to make it was true then what he had so often dreamt that everything was nothing it was the suspicion of this which had governed his point of view and made all the great and all greatness appear on a reduced scale this consciousness had lurked obscurely in him when as a child although well formed healthy and strong he wept over an unknown grief the cause of which he could not find within him or without that was the secret of his life that he could not admire anything could not hold to anything could not live for anything that he was too wide awake to be subject to illusions life was a form of suffering which could only be alleviated by removing as many obstacles as possible from the path of one's will his own life in particular was so extremely painful because his social and economical position constantly prevented his will from expressing itself when he contemplated life and especially the course of history he saw only cycles of errors and mistakes repeating themselves footnote in his pamphlet the conscious will in the world history nineteen o three strindberg takes the opposite view to that expressed here End footnote. the men of the present dreamt of a republic as greeks and romans had done two thousand years before the civilization of the egyptians had decayed when they perceived its futility asia was wrapped in an eternal sleep after it had been impelled by an unconscious will to conquer the world all nations had invented narcotics and intoxicants in order to quench consciousness sleep was blessedness and death the greatest happiness but why not take the last step and commit suicide because the unconscious will continually enticed men to live through the illusion of hope of a better life pessimism regarded as a view of the world's order is more consistent than meliorism which sees in natural development a tendency which makes for men's happiness this latter view seems to be a disguised relic of belief in divine providence can one believe that the mechanical blindly ruling laws of nature have any regard for the development of human society when they produce glacial periods floods and volcanic outbreaks must an intelligent man be called conservative in a contemptuous sense because he has brought under his yoke and rules the laws of nature as stuart mill facetiously expresses it have men devised any certain preventives against shipwreck strokes of lightning economic crises losses of relatives by death and sickness can men control at pleasure the inclination of the earth's axis and do away with cloud formations which are likely to injure harvests in spite of the present advanced state of science have men been able to put an end to the grape pest to stop floods eradicate superstitions remove despots prevent war is it not presumptuous or simple-minded to believe that man himself governed by chemical physical and physiological laws of nature stands above them because he understands how to use some of them to his own advantage as birds use the wind for their progress or beavers the pressure of the stream in constructing their dams are not the wings of the falcon and the fly more perfect means of locomotion than railways and steamers 
how can men be so simple as to think that they stand above nature when they are themselves so subordinate to nature that they cannot will or think freely it looks like a residue of our primitive illusions if the present development of european society ends in atheism that has already been the case with the buddhists if in religious freedom that has already been witnessed in the early history of china if in polygamy that already exists among the savages of australia if in community of goods this prevailed among primitive peoples the fact is that europe has been the last of all the great ethnical groups to wake to consciousness it is now in the act of waking and turning itself not like some oriental nations to torpid quietism but to removing as far as possible the pains and unpleasantnesses of earthly existence although the best way of doing so has not been yet discovered the mistake of the industrial socialists is that they according to the formula of the ambiguous evolution theory wish to build upon existing conditions which they regard as the product of necessity and tending to the good of all but existing conditions rather tend to the happiness of the few and are therefore something abnormal to build on which means erecting a house on ground from which the water has not been drained off probably the form of society which they desire however absurd it is is a necessary mistake through which men must pass to reach a better both the danger and the hope of progress consist in the fact that the socialistic system already has its program drawn up and consequently works automatically i e like a blind irresistible mass if it reconstitutes society after the pattern of the working class who are a minority and makes all men mechanics one may venture to doubt without being regarded as quite mad whether that will be happiness socialism as a social reform is inevitable for europe in itself idolatry has not perceived how far backward it is provided with an asiatic form of government which interferes in details supporting ancient superstitions living under the terrible tyranny of capital which is maintained by force of arms it sets on foot political and religious persecutions it venerates embalmed monarchs like mummies of the pharaohs it civilizes savages with waste goods and krupp guns it forgets that its civilization came from the east and was better then than it is now hartmann and the pessimists believe that the social reform which is called socialism will come but that afterwards it will be succeeded by something else the bourgeois is an optimist because he cannot see or think outside the narrow circle of everyday occurrences that is his good fortune but not his merit for he has no choice in the matter nay he does not even understand what pessimism is but thinks it means the opinion that this is the worst of all worlds how could any one have a well-grounded view on that voltaire who was no pessimist wrote a whole book to demonstrate that this world at any rate was not the best of worlds for us as leibnitz imagined it is naturally the best for itself although not for us and the difference between the point of view of the hypochondriac and the pessimist consists in the fact that the former believes that the world is the worst possible for him while the pessimist disregards what it may be for the individual hartmann is no hypochondriac as people have tried to make out and he seeks to alleviate the pain of life as much as possible by placing himself in a state of unconsciousness the men of the younger generation of to-day are sad because they have awoke to consciousness and lost many illusions 
but they are not hypochondriacal and work at bringing the world forward into the last stage of illusion or a new social system as though hoping thereby to alleviate their pain and they work the more fanatically the deeper they feel it meanwhile supposing that hartmann's philosophy may be a mistake parenthesis and a sceptic must be willing to entertain that possibility although it has every probability on its side since the instinct of self-preservation the first condition of life consists in the removal of pain which is the first motive power and parentheses we must seek to explain historically how this philosophy has come to the birth and spread superficial observers like the mystic caro do not hesitate inconsistently enough to attribute it to bodily ill-health the socialists who wished to arouse the expectation that their teaching was practicable explained it as the foreboding of overthrow in a class of whom hartmann was the representative but hartmann believes in socialism and the new social system although only as transitional forms he is not despairing not even melancholy he seems to be the first philosopher who quite independently of christianity european culture and idealism tries to explain the world's progress from the purely materialistic point of view he states facts and processes exactly as they are from unconscious minerals we have developed into globules of albumen acquired conscious nerve centres and finally brains with ever-increasing self-consciousness the more highly organized the life the greater the capacity for pain and susceptibility to impressions not till our time did the cosmic brain succeed in arriving at clear perception and accordingly at divining the order of the world hartmann can therefore be regarded as one who arrived at the highest degree of consciousness and he will be remembered as the great unmasker before whose keen gaze the bandages fell away it is consequently a mistake to call him the prophet of despair idealists may feel empty and despairing when confronted by the naked truth but the milliarist feels an inexpressible calm man will be modest when he takes the measure of his littleness as an atom of the cosmic dust he will no longer build his happiness on a future life but will be impelled by pessimism to order the only life he has as well as he can for himself and for others he will see how useless it is to lament over the misery of existence he will accept pain as a fact and alleviate it as well as he can hartmann is a realist and the title pessimist in its old significance has been fastened on him out of malice he shudders at the misery of the world but does not even call it misery he only shows that life is not so great and beautiful as men like to make out and pain in his view is not a mere bodily ailment but an impelling motive his is a sound and healthy view of things in contrast to which socialism may sometimes look like idealism since it wishes to remodel society according to its desires not according to the possibilities of the case meanwhile the review article on hartmann had a quickening effect on john there was then a system in the apparent madness of the universe and his consciousness had rightly foreboded that the whole scheme of things was something very insignificant but a new philosophic system is not absorbed by a brain in a day it only left a certain deposit and gave a keynote to his thoughts as a theoretical point of view it was still obscured by his idealistic education darkened by his inborn and acquired hatred of the upper class and his natural tendency to seek his point of equilibrium somewhere outside himself 
taken on the large scale life was meaningless but if one wanted to live one had to come to grips with reality and adopt an everyday point of view which alas one very readily did enormous difficulties stood in the way of earning a living or making a name honour viewed absolutely was nothing but in relation to the petty circumstances of life it was something great and worth striving for the philistines did not understand that and derived much amusement when they saw him pessimist as he was toiling after distinctions they with their clockwork brains thought this inconsistent since they did not understand that the term honour has two values an absolute and a relative end of part two of chapter fifteen of the growth of a soul end of the growth of a soul by august strindberg translated by cloud field